Okay, good morning. Today's brand new Masechta. Today's stuff is that base of Nadarim. Uh, so we're going to start right at the beginning. Um, just uh, by way of introduction, I actually looked in my notes. I had last cycle, I got my father to come from uh, to come and give an introduction to Nadarim. But uh, looking at my notes, largely what he did was when go through the first run. The first run, I'll do I'll, I'll, Yeah, um, uh, not sure what the order is, just to to discuss the, why the page is different and why we have the run, or whether to give an introduction to the halachas, but I think let's just discuss the page a little bit first. Um, so, Nadorim is different in regards to the layout, and the Rishonim actually point out even the language is different. Like, we're just going to have, just over the page, we're going to have, the Gemara is going to use a phrase, um, where was it? So just um, it says the two yados inchi. Did it forget to mention yados? Now that's not something. This language of a two inchi we forgot to mention something we haven't seen before. The Raj points out. He says no. This is the exact same question as we found elsewhere in Shas. We actually found it quite a few times. Man you're bringing up something. Man who mentioned it? So that's just one example. But the language of the Dorim is a bit different. Um, and the commentaries around it are different. So the language is a big discussion. You know, where does the language, why is it different from? So they point out there are actually a few Masechtas which have a different language. Nadorim, Nazir, Chrysus, Me'ila, a few others that have this different language. One of the suggestions is that Rav Ashi was the editor of the Talmud, and these are actually first drafts. He never got to do the second edit like the rest of Shas, so that's why it has a different language. Um, another amazing uh, suggestion is from the Doros Harishonim. He wrote like a history of the mission and the Talmud, etc. Um, but he writes, um, he suggests that in the yeshivas in Babel, I don't remember if he goes into it or not. I haven't, I haven't seen it inside. I've only seen it quoted, and I heard it quoted in another shoe. Um, I was listening to a shoe on the formation of the Talmud, and he quotes him, so, but I, so I haven't seen it inside. But he brings that these Masechtas were not learnt in the times of the Ga'inim, in the Babylonian yeshivas. So therefore, it's not, it doesn't have their editing and their style. It's rather the style more similar to the Yerushalmi, the Israeli yeshivas. Again, um, I mean, by introducing that, you're almost introducing that some of the Talmud, or to some degree, is edited by the Goenim, where many people want to say that the editing was done by Ravashi. The Goenim are about two, three hundred years after Ravashi. So that's uh, that's just an interesting point. But either way, it is slightly different languages, and there's the odd discussion why. A second difference you'll notice is if you look, generally Rashi's in the middle commentary, and here it actually says Rashi on the top. Most say that that is not Rashi. <laughs> you know, sometimes when it says, if you if you remember in Subas, it didn't say Rashi on top of Rashi. So you know, sometimes when someone wants to highlight something, it's because it's not uh, clear or it's not true. They actually, um, by and large, everyone says it's not Rashi. They say there are hints that say no, it's another Rishon, the Rivan, or something. I think a grandson or great grandson of Rashi. Someone who says it's actually Rashi's daughters. No, uh, the legends of who wrote this, but it doesn't. It's not Rashi, and it doesn't have the same authority of Rashi. In fact, they bring they, some of the proofs are when the base Yosef is quoting 
when the Beis Yosef quotes in his uh, halachic work, the Beis Yosef, uh, that's Rabbi Yosef Karo, he says, the Meforesh says, and it'll be the same as what this commentary says. So why doesn't he refer to it as Rashi? Why does he refer to it as the Meforesh? Um, a second uh, proof they have is, uh, what was it? Oh, there are other Rishonim which quote Rashi, like the Shittimuk Betis, amongst others, they quote Rashi, and it's not the same as this Rashi. So there are various proofs that this is not Rashi, and therefore, and yeah, so, so there isn't Tosfos in its usual place. If you look in small on the side, there's Tosfos. Um, but the, uh, the, the standard commentary used for the Dorim is the Ran. Now, interesting that you notice the Ran is much longer than Rashi normally is, and that's because he's actually doing a bit of, he's mixing the style of Rashi and Tosfos. By Rashi, we generally view as the one who explains the Gemara, and then Tosfos will analyze it. Does that make sense? What about this Gomorrah elsewhere? Bring proofs to why he's saying, you know, Tosas will bring proofs why he's saying that. Rashi, you hardly ever find bringing proofs. He just kind of says it as he thinks it is. He'll, the Ran will ask questions. He'll go into side points. So that makes the Ran a bit longer. It's, uh, but that's what, that's the standard commentary used. There's also on the other side, there's the Rosh. Another Rishon, but again, the, the standard commentary used, the starting point of the Sechus, the Dorim, is the Ran. Okay, so the Ran actually gives a beautiful introduction into the Dorim, which I will basically go through. So firstly, as you can tell by the name, Alma is about the Dorim vowels. He points out right at the beginning, there are actually two types of vowels. There's Nidre Hegdesh and Nidre Isur. The vowels of Hegdesh is actually when you promise to give something to the temple. You donate something to the temple. That's Nidre Hegdesh. It says that's not discussed in Amosechta. That's discussed in Kochim. When a person says, I want to donate this money to the temple or I want to give that animal to the temple or whatever, that's Nidre Hegdesh. That's not discussed here. We're discussing Nidre <coughs> Nidre Yisur is an amazing, amazing concept. It is taking um, it's taking something that the Torah says is Mutar and you say a Neder and it becomes forbidden that if a person transgresses it in many scenarios, it will get lashes. So you, you're allowed to eat uh, bread, but if a person takes a nether, that bread is also to him. If he eats bread, he, he breaks his nether and he gets a negative commandment. So that's the power of a nether. And that's what we're discussing in this Masechta, in the Dorim. Um, there are certain terms that are going to come up. Again, um, the next phrase in the Mishnah will be Charomim. Charomim is also the two types. There's a Cheirim, which is a donation to the Temple or to Kohanim. And then there's a Cheirim, which is basically the same as a Neder. This phone, this bread, your property is Cheirim to me. I forbidden by a Neder to me. That's, um, that's Charomim amongst the other terms. Now, yeah, so again, as I said, we're mainly discussing the Dorim. Again, in the other languages, the Haramim, etc., would generally fall, be similar to that. And it's important to note that a neder requires both intent and expression. If you just think it, that doesn't become a neder. There's certain times where you might be liable if you promise in your mind to give something to the temple, you might, but in general, a neder does not take effect unless you have intent and express it. And that's why a lot of this Masechta will be determining what happens if you like partially 
Someone says, I'm never going near that phone. I'm never going near that food. He's not expressing a neder, but it's quite clear from his intent that he wants to make a neder. So how do we view that? that you know, like various uh, combinations of that, or what does he mean? What the person, If a person says, I take a neder against eating vegetables, what are, you know, would that include, I don't know, tomatoes, which are often scientifically classified as a fruit, or does it include bananas, which you say, I don't know, you know, like that sort of stuff, lining up the intent with the speech, but there has to be that um, that level of um, speech. Then the Rand points out that there, and this is important for understanding the first Mishnah, that there are three categories of neder. There's what we would call an ikar neder, a kinui, and a yad, or often referred to as yados. What are they? Ikar neder is the standard language used for a neder. There seem to be two standard languages, one of them might not be, but just to keep it simple, let's say they are. Either someone says, this it's a, this is also to me. I bre- that bread is also to me. That would be a neder. Or he says something along the lines of bread is like a korban to me. So therefore he's saying um, either of those are the term for a neder. Even though he's not saying bread is also like a korban, he's by using either of the terms bread is also to me or Bread is like a korban. That would be ikineder. What's a kinui? Kinui is using a strange language for a neder. And that's why, I don't know if you remember, you, you came across quite a few of them when you did Hattoris Nadorim on um, Rosh Hashanah, just before Rosh Hashanah, and we'll see it on Dav Yud. Um, words like koinam, etc. Koinam is a, well, we'll see, it's a distortion of the language korban, or a used phrase. There's a machloik is coming up, Rosh Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, what is a kinoi. Just check that I'm getting the opinions right. Rabbi Yochanan holds that a kinoi is actually a foreign language. It's uh, saying, uh, instead of just saying neder, you say vam. In English, instead of thing, that's what a kinoi is. Whereas Rabbi Lakish says, no, it's words chazal designated as for that. I, the word, so basically, let's say the word koinam, according to Rabbi Yochanan, is some, from some other language. And uh, according to Rach Lokesh, no, it's a word the sages designated as a, as a, as a word for a vowel. Um, now, obviously, they're obviously a neder because you can say a neder in any language. A neder doesn't have to be in Hebrew for it to be a valid neder. Um, but according to Rach Lokesh, there's a little bit of a question is how do nedarim, how does a neder using a kinoi count as a neder? You're not using real words. It's just, if I say, ah, blah, blah, bread, it's not a neder. So, a koine, bread's like a koinam, or a koine and bread from, you know, that's not a real word, according to Rach It's a made-up word by the sages. So, interesting enough, so he learns that, no, or the writing explains, he says, all languages are just an agreement between people as what the words mean. When I'm speaking to you in English and I say, this is a book, this is a table, that's just an agreement between me, between me and you, that this will use the, the, the word to describe this, will use the word book. It doesn't have any intrinsic thing. So, so too, when the sages come along and say the word for a letter is a koinam, it's no weaker than us agreeing that this object will use the word book to describe it. And that's our Rach Lokesh. Um, Yeah. 
And then according to Rabbi Yochanan, that Koinam are just different languages, the questions the other way around, isn't that obvious? So we said, according to Rabbi Lokish, it's surprising that a Kinoi actually counts as a Neder because it's a made-up word. We point out that basically all language is made up. So that's Rabbi Lokish. But according to Rabbi Yochanan, we have the opposite question. If you say Koinam is just another language, well then, why do we need to be told that a Koinam is a Neder? That's too obvious. So he points out, very interestingly, he says, no, what he's coming to say is that even where it's a slab, or a distortion, because the word koinam is actually a distortion of the word korban, etc. So even where it's slang, it is a language used, but it's slang or something like that, it would also count as a neder, and a, as a proper neder. Um, yeah, and they use, yeah, just to point out, they use, he uses the word kinui is often referred to like a nickname. Kinui, if you want to say a nickname for a person, they're kinui. That's what the Gemara says. You're not allowed to hamachane shem chaveira. Someone who gives his friend an, a nickname is a very severe avera. So that's from the language of kinui, a slang term for something or a distortion of uh, another word. Yeah. What's the yad? So, so that's so we've explained. Ikar was the main type of neder. He described kinui is this using these other words either from from other languages or distortion of real languages or, or made up words. Um, then what about a yad? So yad is where you don't express the full language of the vowel, but it's clear from your intent, or it seems clear from your intent. I guess that would be the degree of the strength of the yad that you are making a neder. Either you, he describes it as a yad, what's a yad, a handle. So just as when you pick up the handle, you're not picking the pot up, but the whole pot comes with it. So to a yad, you just use a few words, you don't finish off your sentence, and that, um, and that would be, um, that would be a yad, and that is what would, um, and that's the question. And some actually learn, if a person says, this item or bread is also to me, that's actually only a yad, because you should be finishing off your sentence and saying, like a korban, like another object that is uh, osu. So that is... Uh, um, yeah, that's just something. So, so that's a yad that's going to come up. The Gemara is going to give other examples um, of... Uh, the Mishnah will give other examples of yados, and that's, uh, those are the three categories we discussed. Okay, ikar... Um, Ikar, Kinui, and Yad. Those are all counters and dorm. As we'll see, Yados also have degrees of how clear it is that it means a netter to more vague. If someone says, phones are terrible, that's far from saying, I will never use a phone, or, you know, or something like that, or um, bread makes me so sick. That's very far from saying, I take a promise, I will never eat bread. Um, but it's it's heading in that direction. So those are, so that's obviously the degrees, and the Gemara coming up will discuss how uh, how to treat the different um, types of yados. Um, and then I think just important to take in mind when we go oh one other yeah when going through this masechta is to keep in mind the strength of our speech, and we see the, the importance of both our intent, our mind, what we're thinking, and our speech comes up in this masechta. Um, And uh, that, and the value, and the preciousness, and the weight that we have to give to our words. I think that's a very, very important thing to think about when we're going through this masechta. 
Um, they bring, uh, when it says, last week's parasha, parasha's parasha, when it says Hashem blew into Adam and Nishma's Also, We say, oh wow, man, he has a Nishma's chayim. If you read back a few psukim, it says the same thing by animals. So Unculus points out, no, it's different. It's by, by but we'll, Rashi points out from Unculus. Unculus just, he's just translating it. But um, he says, Ruach Malalala, uh, speaking spirit. So there's an aspect of speech is a defining characteristic of man. Very interestingly, um, another huge, I mean, we find the emphasis on speech throughout the chazal and the severity of the weight that you have to give it, and the avarus that are attached to speech, even though they might not carry clear punishments, they are often equated with the most severe of all avarus, um, Lashon Horeb. We say it's equal to the Gimel Chamoros, embarrassing someone. Again, you can embarrass someone not through speech, but you can also, it's often largely through speech. Um, no person should rather give, the Gemara uses the phrase, a person should rather throw themselves into a fiery furnace than embarrass someone. Um, insulting people, Anas Gemara. The Gemara brings a whole list of uh, the severity of Anas Gemara, upsetting, insulting, uh, bringing suffering to someone through your speech. And how sensitive. So, so there are many, many severe um, abeiras and the weight. And we, I mean, we can say on the flip side where we daven, the power of our davening, the power of our Torah learning. It's not an essential part of Torah learning. It's saying the words when you're reading or learning or thinking. And obviously you can think in Torah. That is a major aspect, but there's a, a special dimension of saying the words you, you, you're speaking with Torah. Talmud Torah Kenegu Kulam, learning Torah is equal to all other mitzvahs in the Torah. So we see in a, a huge weight given to mitzvahs through speech. One of the interesting, I mean, obviously there's uh, hours and hours to discuss on this in its own right, um, but the, uh, you know, one other Divrei Chazal that is uh, extremely powerful, they say, if, if I remember correctly, it's, I'll check out the quote, but it's, the great reward that the Nevi'im speak about is for those who hold their tongue back. So, something like that. I'll, I'll check it up for tomorrow, Gleaner, if I remember. But, uh, but uh, yeah, amazingly powerful things are said regarding speech. One interesting dimension of speech. There's certain mitzvahs that you do with your body. There's certain mitzvahs you do with your mind. are almost separate. But speech actually requires all the facets of a person. You need the physical parts of your mouth and throat, etc., to be working correctly. You need, so you need that physical aspect. You need the intellectual aspect to be able to think and say the words. Um, we also see people with emotional difficulties often struggle to speak or, you know, speak nicely. When people are angry, they're harder to understand, uh, you know, so we see that. So speech is drawn from all our resources, all aspects of our, uh, from our more spiritual to our uh, more physical. Okay, let's go into the Mishnah. Um, Rav, yeah. sorry. This Masechet Nestin Ul Alachot, Alachot must be relevant to us today. By and large, I think so. We'll go through and see, but by and large, it should be. Some of the Masechet uh, are not that relevant today, but this yeah. is a particular one. Yeah, well, I mean, Subas was very relevant. Uh, this is very relevant. A lot of, yeah. Um, oh, in one point, why is Ksuvus in Noshim? Uh, not why is, uh, why is Nadorim in Noshim? It's, re- it's equally relevant to men and women. So one answer the Rambam says is because the primary discussion of Nadorim is uh, 
is by woman because there's a whole dimension that a father and a and a husband can annul their wives in the dory. So that the um, and that's the paragraph, one of the primary paragraphs in the Chumash discussing the Dorim, where we learn a lot of our lochas are in regards to that discussion. So that's one, one reason. Also, we kind of started the discussion on the Dorim in Subos. Remember, a woman who takes the Dorim is that grounds for divorce, etc. So that's one of the reasons um, the Dorim is brought up in Noshim. Okay, let's go into the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, Kol kinuye the Dorim ken Dorim. Any, again, Kinui, um, strange language used for a netter is the same as a netter. And so too, if it's a strange language for chayrim is used, and like a shvurs, when a zero is gonna zero. Again, we'll see the examples of these words, but if you use strange words for the netter or the chayrim or the shvur, the nazirus, it's equally valid. Now, just before we go on, there's a very interesting point here. Um, when uh, Ran is discussing Shvua, he's saying the Chirush by Shvua is a Shvua, well, we'll see over the page the difference between a Neder and a Shvua, but the Shvua is, he says, here's even where you take a Shvua without Hashem's name, and you use a strange word like a Shvusa or something like that, it's a valid Shvua, that's a Kino Shvua, Again, even without Hashem's name, because he says if you use Hashem's name, you say, by God X, by God I won't uh, do this, or by God I will do that, you use Hashem's name, then it is a valid shvur, even if you don't use the language of, I take an oath, or I take a shvur, etc. So he's saying that. And then very interesting, by the way, he mentions, his proof is because, he says, if you just say, more kula, the, the master of all, I in Aramaic, you say, Mori Kula, the master of all, that counts as saying Hashem's name, and therefore if you'd say, Mori Kula, Lord Tahamina, I won't eat by the master of all, that's as if you've taken a Shvua. Now, what's, what, the, what's fascinating about that is you're not really saying Hashem's name, but it counts as Hashem's name. So some, so there's a big discussion in Hilchus Brochus, if you're not sure if you have to say a Brocha, you're not sure if you're 18 up to say a bracha right now. You're not sure, you don't remember if you said the bracha. So granted, we say something bracha is the hakel. And Orach HaShulchan points out, if you want to be a chosid, you've got to be very careful with brachas. And not only that, there's certain times where maybe if you're not sure if you said the bracha before the food, so you don't have to say another bracha because something bracha is the hakel, but maybe really you should stop eating because every food you then eat, it's did you say a bracha or not? So, so, I mean, I'm not paskinning on that, but that's something to think about. So, so the Orach HaShulchan says a good solution is, we see saying something like, Morei Kula counts as saying Hashem's name. You wouldn't be transgressing um, saying Hashem's name in vain, because it's not one of the seven names of Hashem. So he would say, so say, Brich Rachmona Morei Dalma, or Morei Kula, say the bracha in Aramaic. And he says that counts. He says, have in, have in mind that either I'm just quoting an Aramaic phrase, or I'm saying, or if I need to, I'm actually saying the bracha. Um, and so that would be, would be tied into this run, um, comes up later in the Masechta, but that's, uh, that's interesting. Many aren't happy with that solution for various reasons, but that's an uh, interesting discussion. Okay, let's go on. So, so the Gomorrah has mentioned that a kinui is the same as the real word. 
Then it says, Now, the Gemara is going to address this, is now we move, without mentioning, we move on to Yados. Remember, literally uh, translated as handles. It says, If someone says to his friend, Mudrani mimcho, I take a neder, I'm vowed from you. Mufrushani mimcho, I'm separated from you. Meruchakni mimcho, I am distanced from you. And then, what? She'ani oichelach, that I won't eat your food. She'ani toimloch, or that I won't taste your food. Also, he is forbidden. I, what's couched in this phrase, is saying half a neder. I'm just using the language, I am separated from you and I won't eat your food, counts as a neder. And that's a yad. Then it brings a phrase that is a bit more vague. If someone uses the phrase menude, I am menude to you. Um, now this menude often refers to excommunicated or chayre. Here he seems to be using it in the, he might be using it in the um, language of detached or separated, but it's very vague. Menude I am menude to you. Says that Rabbi Akiva used to leave, um, or out of uncertainty, he would go strict and say that does count as a neder. Okay, that's the mission. Let's go into the Gemara. And the Gemara's first question is: We mentioned that Kinuyim of Nadorim are like Nadorim. And then we say the Gemara says, "So Maishnai Nazir deloik tani lahu lekulu, no Maishnai gabi nedarim deloik tani lekulu." Why by Nazir is it not the same as here by nedarim, where it mentions all of them? I hear it mentions nedarim, charamim, shvuos, and naziras, whereas by Nazir it just mentions um, forgot which ones it just mentions, um, just mentions Nazir. So why here do we have a comprehensive list, and by Nazir we don't? So the Gemara answers, no, Mishum the Nere Veshua, Ksivi Gave Adadi, Tani Tartin. Because Nere and Shua are written together in the Torah, and therefore given the Tani Tartin, and so therefore we're going to teach both of them. And once we're teaching both of them, Tani Lukuru, we just make it a comprehensive list. And where do we see that in Dorm? Because the Possum says, Ki Dor Nere Hashem, or Hishabah Shua. If someone takes a Nere to Hashem, or he takes an oath. So we see Neder and Shvua tied together, and that's why our Tana wanted to put them together. Again, once we're putting them together, then we're going to finish the list and add on Haramim and Aziris. So then the Gemara says, Oh, the listening Kunu Shvua's boss and Nedarim. So then why don't we say Shvua straight after Neder? Why, if those the real reason we're saying this whole list is because we wanted to teach Neder and Shvua and then the rest of the list, why does it go Neder Chayrem Shvua? It should go Neder Shvua. So the Gemara answers now, I did a tan in the door in the Mitzar Chetzo Oleho, Taninami Harom in the Mitzar Chetzo Oleho. Since it's teaching a neder whose mechanics is that the object becomes forbidden to you, Taninami Haromim, it also teaches Haromim, the Mitzar Chetzo Oleho, where the object becomes forbidden to you. La Fuke Shvua, the Kaosa Nashemina Min Chetzo, to exclude a Shvua, which is the person forbidding himself to the object. This is what's referred to as chechza um, and gavra. It's a very famous term in the yeshiva language because it's one of the key phrases often used to define mitzvahs and actions by what they call the briska derech. But here in the Gemara, what, what's it referring to, and I guess it's borrowed from this Gemara, is, is going into the, the mechanics of neder and ashwa. When a person takes a neder, he is saying something that makes the 
object also to him. Right? Bread is forbidden to me. That bread is like a korban. It's the object that is becoming also. The that's by a neder. What's a shvua? A shvua is taking is himself. He says, I won't eat bread. I will do X. That's again. He's the shvua is taking effect on himself on the gavra, as opposed to a neder, which is a taking effect on the object. Um, Introduction, just to highlight this difference, the Nesivus asks, what about other mitzvahs? When we say that you can't eat pork, also you, you can't eat pig, or something like that, is that a Isur Chefta or Isur Gavra? So he wants to say, the Nesivus wants to say that Isur Doraisa are on the Chefta, on the object. Shomayim Hashem can say those objects are problematic, and therefore that type of animal you can't eat, the animal itself. But Isurei Durabonim on the person. Rabbis can't change chicken and chicken and milk into Bosbacholo. They don't have that power to change the object. Or you know, meat and milk cooked together so the object of that, that piece of meat that was cooked in milk, the object is also according to Hashem. It's Bosbacholo. And therefore the object is also. Chazal can't come along and say that the chicken has changed and now it's also. But they can tell you what to do. They can say, look, you, as a Jewish people, are making Xayra, you're not allowed to eat this, you're not allowed to do that. Again, um, let's take uh, cheese made by non-Jews. Don't want to get in the whole discussion there. Um, why and where, etc. But Chazal can't come along and change that permitted cheese into being also. But they can come along and tell you, tell us, that we can't eat that. So, so he wants to say that Isurei Doraisa Isur Chetzer, the object is also, whereas Isurei Drabonan are an Isur um, Gavra, on the person. What are some differences? And this, this leads to some major differences, nafkaminas, between a Shvua and a Neder. I'll just mention two of them. Um, you can't take a Shvua against doing a mitzvah. Because you already took a shvua at Har Sinai to fulfill mitzvahs. We took a, a shvua at Har Sinai that will do mitzvahs. So, for example, we took a shvua that we will sit in the sukkah, that we will shake lulav. So, you can't come along and take a shvua over that shvua and say that I won't sit in a sukkah or that I won't sit in a, or that I won't shake lulav. You can't take a shvua against a mitzvah because you already have a shvua to do it. However, you could take a neder. You could take a neder that that sukkah is also to me. You're not contradicting your shvua. Your shvua is that you'll sit in a sukkah. But you're taking a neder that makes the sukkah forbidden to you. Or the lulav forbidden to you. So a neder can take effect on a mitzvah. Whereas a shvua cannot. Another difference is that a neder only takes effect on tangible objects. Whereas a shvua takes effect even on uh, things like speech. And uh, certain actions that are not tangible, and you can only you can you can only offer items through a neder. That br- bread is forbidden to me, and that would be a neder. Um, you are not allowed to benefit from my property. Again, tangible items a neder can take effect on. However, um, a shvur can take effect even on conceptual things or not literal. I person can take a shvur. I take a shvur that I will sleep. I 
take a shvua that I won't sleep. I take a shvua that I will say something, or I take a shvua that I won't say something. Those you can't take a neder on sleep. I mean, interestingly, if you wanted to be in the form of the neder, you would have to say something along the lines, as we discuss later. I take a neder that my eyes on, on my eyes sleeping, you know, something like that, so that the netter can take hold on your eyes, which are an object, as opposed to taking a netter that I won't, that sleep is forbidden to me. Sleep is not a tangible thing, so you couldn't take such a netter, but again, you could take a sure that you won't sleep or that you will sleep, etc. So those are two again, differences between, again, netter and shvur. One of the fundamental differences is a netter is on the object, whereas a shvur is on the person. The net is, that object is forbidden to me, that art, etc. Where Shvur is, I won't or I will. Um, and then that, and we said two ramifications from that, okay, two important ramifications is can it take effect on a mitzvah? A Shvur can't, because you already took a Shvur to do the mitzvah at Harsinah, so you can't now come take a Shvur that you won't do the mitzvah. Whereas a netter can, because it's not on the mitzvah that it's not on, you took a Shvur to do the mitzvah, I'm not saying anything about me doing the mitzvah, I'm just saying that that sukkah is forbidden to me. Etc. Okay, so let's go on in the Gemara. Um, now the Gemara is Posach the Kinuyim, called Kinuyim in the Dorim, and the Forest Yodos, and then it goes on to explain Yodos. It says the two Yodosh Inchi, and did it forget to mention Inchi? Are we saying that the structure of the mission it doesn't make sense? It says, called Kinuyim in the Dorim, in the Dorim, all um, strange languages of the Dorim. Have the same are like a real neder, and then it doesn't tell us what they are, and then it jumps straight to tell us what's a yad. It should say, and yados are as follows. So those are the two questions the Gemara is asking. So it answers the one. It says, I re- no, I rebohan. It is dealing with yados, and there's a little, there's a line missing from the Mishnah. It should say, Kol kinuya nadorim kinadorim, but yados nadorim kinadorim. All kinuya nadorim have the same effect as an eder, and a yad of an eder also has the same effect as an eder. Of the lifroish kinuya beresha. Well, then it should explain the kinuya. We only get to the kinuya on about daf yud. So it should say, kinuyim kinadorim like nadorim, and yados kinadorim are like yados, and then it should explain, what the kinuyim are. But it goes to explain. So he says, no. The one that it leaves off with is the one that it explains first. Right? It says, kinuy and yad. And then it's going to explain yad. And later on it will explain kinuy. And we're going to bring a few examples where we see this. As we learned in the Mishnah. On Shabbos, what are you allowed to light with and what are you not allowed to light with? And it first explains, what you're not allowed to light with. So we see, it gives it, it says there's some things you're allowed to light with and some things you're not allowed to light with. And what, is it, what it leads off with, what you're not allowed to light with, is what it explains first. And that's going to be the, all these examples. What are you allowed to insulate with and what are you not allowed to insulate? Again, this is on Shabbos. It says, you're not allowed to insulate, etc. So it starts with what it left off with. Now the example, what is a woman allowed to walk out with? I carry on Shabbos. And what is she not allowed to carry on Shabbos? I just exaggerate against her certain juries, etc., that she'll take off to shows her friend she's not allowed to go out with. And what is she, and, and that, and Bame Lot takes Aisha and at first explains what she's not allowed to go out with. 
So I, whatever it leaves off with, it explains first. The Gemara asks, is that principle true? It says, You're telling me it doesn't start explaining what it opened with. Uh, what we've said is when, there's, when, it's, when the Mishnah says A and then B, it's going to explain B first. I'm, it's now going to give examples. And no, where it says A, B, etc. And it's going to start explaining A first. It says, Vahotan, we learned in a Mishnah, etc. They're those who inherit and bequeath to each other, and they're those that inherit but do not bequeath. Then uh, the eighth paragraph of Abbasra, it's explaining the rules of inheritance. And for example, if a father dies, his son will inherit him. If a son dies without children, his father will inherit him. So they noichel umanchil. And then it says there are those who are noichlin veloimanchilin who inherit but do not bequeath. I from a mother. A son will inherit his mother, but if he dies, his mother will never inherit him. But then it says, and then it goes on to explain first the elu noichlin umanchilin, the ones who inherit and bequeath first. Another example, he says, Yeish moistrus lebaleim v'osurus liyovahem. They're mutaris lebaleim v'osurus liyovahem. They're those who are mutar to their husbands and forbidden to their yovahem. And mutaris liyovahem v'osurus lebaleim. And they're those that are permitted to the yovahem but osur to their husband. And says, and then what does it say? Ba'elu mutaris lebaleim v'osurus liyovahem. And the following are the ones who are permitted to their husband and osur to their yovahem. What do we see again? We're going... We're doing A, B, and then explaining A. Unlike we just said earlier on that how's our Mishnah working and how do many Mishnahs work, that it goes A, B, and then it will explain, it will mention A, mention B, and then explain B first. So these are all again opposite. And just by Yibum, well, I mean, we're going to give five examples. Again, what's the case of Yibum? So don't remember, let's say a Kohen marries a widow and he dies without children and his brother's a Kohen Godel. So she's mutar too her husband, but also to the Yovam. The other way around, if you had a coin Godel illegally married to a widow and then he dies without children, his brother is permitted. So, okay, that's just a quick chazor of a tini in Yibu. Then it says, Yesh to uno shemen, now we're going to discuss another example from Mincha offerings. It says, Yesh to uno shemen velavoyna, there's certain Mincha offerings that require oil and frankincense. And there's certain Mincha offerings, shemen velolavoyna, oil without frankincense, etc. And then it goes on to explain, Ba'elu to uno shemen velavoyna. These are the ones that require oil and levoyna. I, what it starts with is what it explains first. Says then another example. There those items that require bringing it close to the Mizbech and waving, korbonos, and there are those korbonos that require waving but not bringing it close to the Mizbech. And then it goes on to explain the ones that require Hagosha. And then a fifth example is Yesh Bechol and Achla Ve'en Bechol Akoyim. There's a Bechor for inheritance, and, uh, and, but not a Bechor to the Kohen. There's a Bechor who will inherit a double portion, but he will not necessarily, the father will not be having Pidjon Ben. And Bechor Lekohen Ve'en Bechol and Achla. And you get a Kohen who is a Bechor, to the, a, a firstborn who is a, a who would have to pay Pidyon Aben, the Ein Bechol Anachla, but he would not be a Bechor for inheritance. And then it says, Ve'ezu Bechol Anachla, and it's Ve'ein Bechol Akoyen, and then it starts off explaining again, the first type mentioned, the Bechol Anachla and the Koyen. Just one of the main, easiest examples of that distinction is remember, a Pidyon Aben is if he's a firstborn to the mother, and a Bechor for double portion is if he's a firstborn to the father. So if, he's the first, if a man marries a woman who has children from previous wives or from previous husbands or a miscarriage 
and that's not a Bechol Lepahim, but it's his Bechol, so it will be Bechol Lenachala. Or the Alwerad, if he already has sons, and he's married, and his wife, it's her first child, and it's a firstborn son, then it will be a, not a Bechol Lenachala, but a Bechol Okay, but either way, um, we see that again. So, so again, we see, and we suggested the structure of our Mishnah, which we suggested is the standard, and we gave many examples, is that the Gemara is going to give a list of possibilities, I Kinuya Nadorim Kinadorim, and Yadus Nadorim Kinadorim, and then it will always explain the second one first, the one it leaves off with. We've just brought five examples that go against that rule. So the Gemara says, no, Halim Bishun Da'achilei, Mephoreshahu, the Pasach Parasha. says, no, these have many lists. I, the list in the Mishnah is just two. It's Neder and Yad. And so too with all the ones that we mentioned, was carrying or not carrying, what, what a woman can wear on Shabbos and what a woman can't wear on Shabbos. Um, what, a, what you can insulate with, what you can't insulate with. When they're just two items, then it will go to the second one first and go back to the first one. But where they're like four items, like most of these cases, like just for example, the one with Nachal, it was, it's the, the full mission is, or the, the full starting point of the mission is, Yesh Noichlin U Manchilin, Noichlin Veloi Manchilin, Manchilin Veloi Noichlin, Lo Noichlin Veloi Manchilin. So, they're all the, so there's that extensive list. There we, if we start with the last one and then move back, it will get too confusing. So we, when it's a longer list, we list the items and then we'll go back and deal with the first one first, second one second, etc. So that's the Gomorrah's answer to the structure of the last five examples that's given. The Gomorrah's answer, etc. There's ah, oh, but the example of what can an animal go out with, what's considered part of the animal and what would be considered a burden on the animal, like as a saddle. Is that a part of the animal's clothes, or is that a burden? Could an animal walk out on Shabbos with a saddle on its back? So that's the question. So that's what it says. There's some things an animal can go out with, and some things an animal can't go out with. Just two. And then it starts off with what a camel can go out with. So we see again, it's just two items, and it's only, and it's doing, starting with the point I mentioned first. Elalabdafka. So you're right, it's not uh, precise. There's no specific rules. Sometimes it starts off by explaining the one it started mentioning, and sometimes it starts by explaining the one that it left off with. So that's the Gemara's answer. We will see tomorrow, Iboy's Ema, an alternative possibility. But again, the question that the Gemara has been dealing with up until here is... The structure of our Mishnah, firstly, there's, an, there's a line missing from our Mishnah because it starts off with saying, all Nadorim are like Nadorim, and then it explains, Yados, what's a Yad? So that's missing, as we said, no, it's missing a line. It should say, all Nadorim can Nadorim, the Yados Nadorim can Nadorim. Any Kinui of a Neder is like a Neder, and so to a Yad of a Neder is like a Neder. And then we said, okay, but then why does it explain Yados? If we started with, we said, uh, Kinui Neder can Neder, and Yad Neder, shouldn't we go and then explain Kinui? So it says, no, it's an accepted... And then we come out at the end that, it, yeah, Mishnah has to work either way. It can either say, leave, start explaining what it left off with, like our Mishnah it left off mentioning, well, implicit, hidden in the Mishnah it, meant, it said Yados, and now we explain Yados, and we'll go later on back to the first line of the Mishnah to explain Kinuyim. And sometimes it does it the other way around it. 
those starts, the first point it mentions in the Mishnah, is the one it will discuss first. Okay, we'll leave the chat for tomorrow.